When I was in junior high, I took a drafting class with Mr. McDonald. I loved drafting class. You remember that? Drafting class with the tables that tilted up and the funky pencils with no erasers. It was like art class for dudes, right? Um, we learned all kinds of things about how things are designed. And, uh, for example, if you're building a car, a new car, um, you didn't just design the shape and the features of the car. You had to build every part specifically in the car, not just the cool-looking car. And all the part specifications had to align in order for the car to go together and not fall apart, which I guess that's important. And so we would design and draw different things and how they would be displayed in different views, like from different perspectives, basically. You know, a front view and a side view and um, things like that. Well, the big project at the end of the semester in eighth grade drafting class was to design our own house. And it was a massive project. And now, listen, we're in junior high, so... um, not quite architects just yet, right? And so we didn't have to include all the electrical, HVAC, all the stuff, all the guts in your home that, that you would see on a blueprint, kind of like what we just saw on the little video. Uh, but we essentially had to design the layout, right? And we had to create a side and front, back elevation, all those little things in the design. And so it was kind of a, a massive deal with seven, seven or eight different uh, drawings, and they all had to align in measurements and in uh, all to scale, all those things, right? And uh, it was a lot of fun to design. Believe me, in mine, my house, it was ridiculous. <laughs> um, it was huge, and again, eighth grade, right? It had a stupid number of rooms and unusable space that was it was dumb. Okay, I got an A on the project. That's all you need to know. Um, at the end of the project, though, Mr. McDonald would give us the approximate amount that it would cost to build our home, okay? Now, I have it on good authority that in today's world, building a new home would cost anywhere from $110 to $250 per square foot, okay? And depending on what materials you use and how much you want to pack in there, right? Well, I was in the eighth grade in 1989, and so um, the house that I designed would, cost, would have cost approximately $742,000. Yeah, 9,900 square feet. I, I said it was ridiculous, right? Um, and, and so that um, was probably kind of high at the time. But today it would have cost $1.78 million. So... Um, that's inflation for you. So I'm telling you all that, that as an eighth grader, I did not count the cost, right? And after drafting class and going into high school, I was able to take some of the computer-aided drafting classes because that's about the time the computer started taking over those, those classes. And I was bound to be an architect because I loved designing that stuff. Then realized that I was not so gifted at math, and uh, which I suppose is important to an architect, well, at least a good architect, right? Um, and so, um, well, here I am. 
And we're in the middle of this series that centers around the way of the cross, where Jesus takes his disciples from ground level, this freshman level of following, and he shares with them what being a disciple really costs. And we read, we read last week from the Gospel of Mark, and Jesus told them, if you want to be my disciple, here's what you do. You deny yourselves. You deny themselves, and you take up your cross, and you follow me. You need to die to yourself, and you take up your cross, and you follow me. And to be the best follower that you can be, um, we and, and we talked about how it can require some putting down. We put down a whole bunch, right? We, we forfeit our life, basically. And then when our, empty, our hands are empty, we pick up what Jesus wants us to pick up. And today, we're going to see how this all plays out, but we're going to see it through the eyes of Luke. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to the book of Luke, the, the gospel of Luke, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke in the near New Testament, uh, we see how Luke explains it in his gospel. And if you were here a few weeks ago, we talked about the Sermon on the Mount, right? Remember that, Sermon on the Mount? Okay, one of you, good. <clears throat> Whoa. Well, if you weren't here, you can go back and listen to it um, if you need to go to sleep sometime. It's on Facebook Live. It's on our podcast. Did you know we had a podcast? We have a podcast. It's all there, and um, you can listen to it. And we shared how pieces of the Sermon on the Mount are, are shared through Jesus' ministry. And we see that here, again, in Luke. And, uh, and we read this account and how it, what it costs to be a disciple. And we read, again, some of the bits and pieces of the Sermon on the Mount. In Luke's gospel, he shares these words of Jesus and includes this metaphor for, uh, for us that helps us better understand the cost of following. So we're going to read it today in Luke chapter 14, um, and we're starting on verse uh, 25, 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, Jesus said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And yet, whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if, any, to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if, uh, for if you lay down a foundation and are not able to f finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying the person began to build it and wasn't able to finish or suppose a king is, without, is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation out while the other is still a long way off, and he will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. And here's where we see a little bit of the Sermon on the Mount leak in. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It's thrown out. Whoever has ears here to hear, let him hear. It's a great picture, isn't it? Jesus, he kind of knew what he was doing. He knew who he was talking to. And he tells in Luke's account, 
If, if you want to be my disciple, you have to deny yourself. You have to die to yourself. Everything in your life, you have to pick up your cross and you have to carry it. And he's saying that you have to count the cost. And, he, and he, I think Jesus knew, uh, he knew something right here. Um, I don't know if he was reading the room, like he was looking at their faces and they were like, what are you saying here? All right, these are words we haven't heard before, Jesus. You had to say it a different way. But he, he's not, he's every, not everyone sitting there was listening. He probably understood what he was saying. So instead of assuming everyone was on the same page and just moving on and saying, you have to deny yourself and pick up your cross uh, then, and, and move on, then what was he doing? He gives two examples to everyone and to help them understand. He was making the gospel practical, relatable. He's showing them that being a disciple is applicable to everyone. He explains it on terms that they understand. And just FYI, as your pastor, if I ever do that, I apologize, right? I, I don't, I, I, if I ever assume that what I'm saying, uh, that you know what I'm saying, I just kind of move on to the next thing, that's not my intention, obviously, and you don't ever get really give me feedback. You don't ever raise your hand and say, can you say that again? No. Uh, so I get it. But that's not my intention, right? If there's something that needs explanation, I really don't, I, I don't try to make it uh, hard. I want to make it as clear as possible. So I hope that happens most of the time. Um, but here's, here's what I'm getting at from this passage today. Here's what I get from it, and I hope it, uh, you can see it too. As Luke shares about counting the cost and what it means to be a disciple, some things don't just happen. That's what I get from it. Some things, they, they don't just happen. That would be true about pretty much everything in our life, right? Some things, they don't just happen. Pretty much everything, right? You, you want to be a great athlete, you don't just wake up and go be a great athlete. You want to be a really good musician up here, um, I'm pretty sure that Melissa and Acacia and, and uh, Penny just didn't sit down and start, you know, and they just did it, right? A few hours of practice probably happened, right? So um, some things, they don't just happen. Being a disciple is not perfected overnight. There's an investment that's required. There's an assessment of our lives that's, that's, a, that's required. There's movement that's required, and the list just keeps on going. And all that centers around who? Us. And Jesus talks about uh, this building project in, in, his, in Luke. In this example of how we have to count the cost. In Luke 13, uh, 28, he says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Right? Anybody, anybody ever build their own house? Right? Or have a home built for them? Okay. Angie and I, we've never been a part of a new build before, but we have purchased a couple of different homes. And that is a process, right? It's hard. Building a new home from the ground up does not just happen, does it? Right? And there's a bit more involved than my junior high drafting class project, right? You just throw it on some paper and let her fly, right? First and foremost, you literally have to sit down and count the actual cost. Look at your bank account and say, ooh, okay, I can do this. 
right? We, we can afford X amount. Meaning, you have to do what Jesus suggested in verse 28. That won't, won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? He's telling them, this is practical, right? Crunch some numbers here. You ever watch the show House Hunters? Okay? Talk about the, this, this, the, where the cameras, they follow the, the, the people through the house and the realtors and um, see which, one, which house they like and which one they don't. And they give them, uh, um, they give them some options. And, and they try and, try and make this decision of buying a house that's like this calming, relaxing thing, which is a lie. It's not true. The funniest part about that show is how they determine their spending budget. I, I would say 110% of the time, the two people are never on the same page about their spending budget. One of them is always up here, and the other one's very conservative. I want to go up here. I want to know we got to have... We gotta, have our grounding, right? And so um, the cameras follow them around, and, and they try and choose one, and one person, you know, is a stay-at-home, part-time worker, and the other one, you know, I'm taking a gap year, and uh, we're going to figure this out, and so their budget's like $1.2 million, you know? That's practical, right? It's not realistic either, honestly, and I feel like they don't ever tell the whole story, like we won the lottery last year, and so we're just kind of living, uh, or the buyers, they're not literally counting the cost. Building a home, it takes time. So not only do you have to count the actual money cost, but you have to consider time too. You have to figure out what you can afford. You have to get plans drawn by an architect, which can cause, that can take seven or eight weeks at sometimes. And again, time uh, builds up, right? You have to find a place for the house to be built. Okay, you don't just take it in a parking lot and build it up and then move it wherever you want. You have to find a place for it to be built. And the materials need to be purchased. That's not always available, right? You have to dig a big hole, throw some cement into it, put lumber on top of that. And if you get, uh, you get a house built in less than 10 to 12 months, you've accomplished something. It's pretty fast, unless it's Ty Pennington and the guys from Extreme Home Makeover, right? They do it in like a week. But otherwise, it takes... A year, right? It's a long, drawn-out process. But what happens when you find out right before the roof goes on? You're out of money. Oh, boy. Right? What happens? I know what happens. The contractor is going to stop building. Because you know why? They like getting paid. And your house is just going to sit there, unfinished. And just like in Jesus' story, your new neighbors that you went and scouted out and talked to, and they're going to kind of wonder, looking at your half-finished house, wondering, what in the world's going on with these crazy new neighbors of mine? Did they not think that they need, you know, they need enough money to finish the house? And Jesus is telling us, you don't just become close followers overnight. You have to count the cost. You have to look ahead. You have to prepare. You have to put things aside. Just in case everyone, uh, just in case not everyone understood the building analogy, Jesus uses one more idea to help everyone get this strong follower of Jesus thing under, under their head, right? Because they would understand the go to war part. A lot of these people would understand that, right? 
And he talks about a king going to war, about the planning that goes into preparing for war. June 6, 1944, the Allied army launched into the largest sea invasion, seaborne invasion in, in history of the globe, right? We know it as D-Day, right? It was essentially the beginning of the end of World War II in Europe, and just over a year after D-Day, the war, World War II, was over. But D-Day did not just happen, right? Planning for D-Day actually began between the Allied armies just after Pearl Harbor's bombing in 1942, March of 1942, just three months after Pearl Harbor was bombed. It was deeply debated on how it should be executed, okay? It took two years to plan. It was postponed due to weather at least one time. And even though D-Day was strategically planned, very well-coordinated, right, it still had a lot of things go wrong. It was a five-phased attack that happened over six hours that coordinated all kinds of different uh, people, and it had an airborne attack, and air, like paratroopers, an aerial attack with planes, naval attack. It had an all-out f- final invasion, right? 3,000 landing craft, 500 naval ships, 2,500 other ships, right? 20,000 land vehicles, 13,000 aircraft, 129,000 plus infantry troops, 23,000 plus paratroopers. No small task, okay? And just five days later, on June 11th, everything at least tripled. 326,000 troops on the ground, 54,000 vehicles. It was no small undertaking, right? That kind of incursion does not just happen. You don't think General Eisenhower on like June 3rd called up a few people in Britain and said, hey, you want to just bomb the heck out of France, see if we can get it back? Probably not, right? 4,400 plus soldiers of the Allied armies died on that day alone. Imagine if it wasn't very well planned, how many more people would have died? You have to count the cost, and they did, and it's still, that's still what happened. See, Jesus is sharing with his followers Being a disciple, it just does not happen like that. It takes intentionality. It it takes looking over the horizon a little bit. It takes surrender. It takes denying yourself. It takes dying to yourself. That's what that means. And then it takes picking up your cross and following Jesus. It takes practice, right? Yes, we talked about practicing the words of Jesus a few weeks ago, right? And the rains came down and the floods came up. Remember those things? And splat, everything went splat. And those that practiced the words of Jesus, things stood firm. Those who did not practice the words of Jesus, their house went bluey, right? Well, that's what it, it takes practicing. Practicing the way of the cross is how we become the disciple that Jesus is calling us to be. It takes counting the cost and dying to ourself. Think about it for a second. What does following Jesus cost? What does it cost you? We know what it cost Jesus. It cost him his life. But what does it cost you? Here's some 
thoughts. Following Jesus, these are just hypotheticals, right? It cost me the opportunity to get blackout drunk with my buddies and live as, you know, turn, turn out, uh, you know, stay up all night and leave my wife and kids out to wonder where I was, okay? Did that really cost you? You give that all up? Probably not. Following Jesus cost me the opportunity to get a promotion at work, you know, because I, I wasn't willing to be dishonest on my reports and do something like that. So if somebody else got my promotion, well, did that really cost you? Well, right then and there it did, but not really. Because doing the right thing, does it really ever cost you? Following Jesus cost me the opportunity to date Mr. You know, or Mrs. You know, so... Uh, and, you know, because they know that I'm a Christian and I have certain standards and values that I just won't budge on. Okay, well, that's not really a cost, is it? That's practicing words like a wise man or a wise woman. That's being able to stand firm on a foundation. So when the rains come and the floods come, you stand firm. See, Jesus knew how easy it would be for his followers to want what the world wants because he knows who we are. We're human. That's why he says that we need to practice his words, to apply the things that he shares with us to our lives, to deny ourselves, to get out of the driver's seat and let him drive. But then there's more, right? Don't just deny yourself. Don't just die to yourself and then lock yourself in a closet and wait for Jesus to come back. No, don't just go hide. Don't hide your light under a bushel, right? Deny yourself, then let Jesus drive your life. Walk out into public. Deny yourself, die to yourself, pick up your cross, and then go to school. Pick up your cross, go to work, go to church. Go to wherever you go and live life like Jesus would live life. Go out, be a reflection of the love of God that's alive inside you. Practice, right? Because at the end of the passage, we read again today in, in Luke, what Jesus reminds us of what we are, right? Salt. Remember, you are salt. And that if you don't practice, if you're not intentional, if we think, uh, if we think of being a, a follower just happens, then the rains are going to come, and the floods are going to come, and splat is going to happen, right? Jesus said we'll go down with a great crash. Those are his words. But Jesus said if you want to be my disciple, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Don't just hide it. Go and do your life. But do it for me and do it with me. And if we practice this, we have a plan. If we have this plan to be intentional about following, like the king had a plan to see, count the cost, like the, the builder had a plan to see if he had enough money to, to, to build the tower, then your tower that you're building, it'll be completed because you counted the cost. Because the battle that you're heading into will be won because you counted the cost. Because you died to yourself. You deny yourself and you take up your cross. And Jesus is asking us to give him our lives. 
Not, not die for him, die to him, right? And then live for him. That's a big deal. Uh, I was given a poem one time that talks about dying to ourself. And I was reminded of it to this week when I was studying. And it, it talks a lot about being a disciple, this, this going out and other people, all the darts that are thrown our way. Kind of will be a segue into our next week's uh, hammer and chisel, how God is going to shape us and form us into this disciple that we want and need to be, that he's calling us to be. So um, read this for us today. It's called dying to self. When you're forgotten, neglected, or personally attacked, but you don't sting or hurt with the insight of the oversight. Instead, your heart is happy being counted worthy to suffer for Christ. That is dying to self. When your good works are spoken evil of, when your wishes are crossed, your advice disregarded, your opinions ridiculed, but you refuse to let your anger rise in your heart. Instead, you take it all in patient, loving silence. That's dying to self. When you lovingly and patiently bear any disorder, irregularity, impunctuality, or any annoyance, when you stand face-to-face -face with waste or extravagance or spiritual instability or insensibility, and endure it as Jesus endured it, that's dying to self. When you're content with any food, with any offering, any climate, any society and raiment, or any interruption by the will of God, that's dying to self. When you never care to refer to yourself in a conversation or to record your own good words or have an inch after commendations when you can when you can truly love to be unknown that's dying to self when you can receive correction and reproof from one that's less stature than yourself and can humbly submit inwardly as well as outwardly finding no rebellion or resentment rising up in your heart that's dying to self when you can see your brother prosper and have his needs met, and can honestly rejoice with him in spirit, and feel no envy, no, nor question God, while your own needs are far greater, and in desperate circumstances. That's dying to self. We have to, that, that doesn't just happen, does it? It takes practice. It takes work. It takes surrender to not be the center of attention all the time and love it because we love that. I like me some me, don't we? We're good at that. But dying to self, that's taking up our cross, being behind it all in the shadow of the cross. Let's pray today. Heavenly Father, as we 
go into the world today. We just ask that you will help us to take up our cross with us, that we will do everything we can to live our life as a disciple that is dying to ourself, that we're taking up our cross and following you, that we are counting the cost, that we're doing what we can to be a reflection of God's love to our world, that we're doing what we can not to to die for him, but to die to him and to live for Christ. And we, we acknowledge, Lord, it's not easy. We acknowledge, Father, that when things come our way that are hard, we would we'd like to just pack it in. We acknowledge that when things come our way and, and they're great and we get to celebrate that we want to claim it as our own sometimes. Father, we just, we, we give that to you, dear Father. We ask that you'll just teach us today how to count the cost in the right way. That you'll teach us to die to ourself every day, to surrender every day, to be intentional about waking up and asking you to show us what we can do for you today. To be a reflection of your holy love in the lives of others. That we can be a disciple that's making more disciples as you shape us and you mold us into who you have called us to be. Lord, we're thankful, Father, that uh, you are ever patient with us and that you walk with us along this way. So as we go out, Father, we just give you our lives and we pray, Father, that you will give us the opportunities that uh, we seek to impact others with your, with your love and to share your gospel by the way that we act, by the way that we react, and by, by the way that we love. Lord, go with us this day. We love you in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. Have a great day. We hope to see you over at the planning meeting for Live Nativity. And uh, if not, we'll see you next time. God bless you. Have a wonderful afternoon.